my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Mark Moss Show, where we're always talking about the decentralized revolution, deglobalization, if you don't know what that means. The world is changing and we can see it changing everywhere. And I have a big show for you today so you can understand what's going on and more importantly, where we're going. And I want to talk about something that uh, every government, every empire makes, uh, a, a mistake they make at the end every single time. I want to break this down so you know what's coming, the dangers of this, and of course, uh, what we can do to counteract this. And so I want to talk about Biden's price controls backfiring and why they always fail. So we're going to cover uh, Biden, the Biden administration's latest attempt at price controls. We're going to look back at failed attempts by governments to set price controls. I want to dive down deep into a moment in, in recent history when another country attempted the very same price controls that the Biden administration is imposing. And then I'm going to help set expectations in our current market environment to let you know what I think is about to happen and what we're going to do about it. So we got a lot to cover in this um, episode. I, uh, I'm excited about this one. So make sure you tune in the whole time. Now, if you have to leave early, don't worry, I got your back. Just check me out on the podcast. Just search The Mark Moss Show on your favorite podcast player. Or you can go to YouTube and go to the Market Disruptors YouTube channel where you can watch me and listen to me at the same time. Now, one thing just real quick, please, if I can ask a small favor, if you're listening on the podcast app, if you could just uh, like and review the show. That'd mean the world to me. More people would see the show and I'd be much appreciated there. All right. So we're talking about, like I said, the inevitable. And it's inevitable because all throughout history, every government basically runs the same pattern. 
Um, it's been documented a couple times. Um, there's uh, the there's there's research on the average empire and the average democracy, which both interestingly run about a 250 year time span. On the empires, they run it through like a six cycles. Democracy runs through like an eight cycles, uh, but they're both about the same. And it's something sort of like uh, in the first stage, you have the eruption or the frenzy. And so, you know, after a revolution comes this eruption, this frenzy, there's this new energy, this excitement, there's this birth of this new uh, country or civilization or whatever it is at the time. Um, so, so you have that. Next, after that eruption, that frenzy, that excitement happens, then we start to have the growth. So then we start to have sort of the commercial growth happening there. So we're starting to see businesses um, sprouting up, growing. We're starting to see productivity, um, things like that. Then that leads to like wealth and affluence because now we're creating, we're producing, we're providing value, we're exchanging. Uh, we have specialization of trade and we have prosperity. But after that... Then we go to the age of like intellectualism. And so after you've taken care of your base needs, you have the money, you turn towards other things that are non-economically driven. And so those typically go into, like I said, uh, you know, education, arts, and things like that. And so we can certainly, uh, if you're listening along, if you're playing along, you can just see how the United States has kind of fallen through this. Um, and so then you kind of have this age of intellectualism and um, this rise of these, this technocracy, which is, you know, these experts that want to tell you what to do. Um, and then we go into uh, what's known as the age of uh, like speculation uh, and uh, sort of waste and, and uh, gambling, right? And so when you saw last year, about two years ago, there was, you know, $68 million for a JPEG piece of art from Beeple, or there was an $18 million piece of invisible art. I don't even know how they got, they got delivery of it or not. Maybe they got scammed because uh, it's invisible. They don't know. Uh, you know, you see, you know, 300, 500 million dollar yachts, 500 million dollar houses and condos. I mean, it's insane we have that. Um, then we go into this age of dependence where people then become dependent on the government because they just can't afford to live on their own for whatever reason. Oh, again, this traces back through all of history. You can see it in the Roman Empire. We had like the, the bread and circuses where the government had to kind of take care of the people so they wouldn't revolt. Of course, you see this, yes, in the United States today where more and more people are dependent on the government. As a matter of fact, we have more people dependent on the government today for um, housing and food than we did during the Great Depression. Um, and so we have this high level of dependence, you know, all this talk today of, of UBI, universal basic income that we need to produce. Um, and after dependence comes, well, uh, like slavery. <laughs> after you become so dependent you can't leave then comes the what they actually call bondage and then you have this period of bondage which is now the government has total control because you've given them everything they have total control of everything and after bondage we finally then have revolution again all right so this has uh, been documented very well through thousands of years of history um and it typically follows about a 250 year time frame now if you're playing along yes the united states was founded about 250 years ago and not just the united states but really even sort of europe i mean we had the french revolution as well about 250 years ago and so we're starting to see these this developed world starting to go down this path now one of the things that's also part of this is as we kind of go from this period of abundance to dependence and then into bondage is one of the last things that the governments do in this bondage period, which is having control over everything, is um, trying to control the flow of money or what we call capital controls.
And so they want to control how much money is moving in the economy, moving between people. More specifically, though, they want to control money moving in and out of the economy. So you can look at China, for example. They don't have cap open capital markets. As a matter of fact, uh, most countries in the world don't. Um, you can hear, obviously, many stories, and maybe you know them if you've been a migrant uh, or immigrant. Um, you know, people escaping Russia or Iran or South Africa um, and having to basically leave all their assets with them. Um, I've done an interview with uh, Jan, uh, Jan Pritzer. He's the co-founder of Swan Bitcoin. Um, my good friends at Swan Bitcoin, if you want to pick up Bitcoin, go check them out. Uh, but he talks about how his family had to leave Russia. And when they had to leave, I want to say they were only allowed to bring like $400 was like the max they could get out of their bank account. Um, don't fact, my, fact check me on that. It was, it was something to that effect, but they could only bring a little bit of money. Um, growing up as a kid, um, one of my best friends' family had come from South Africa. And coming from South Africa, they had to leave their money in South Africa too. Um, I did an interview about two weeks ago with uh, Rand Nooner on uh, a show called Crypto Banter. And he was talking about how his family, he grew up in South Africa, but his family had to leave Iran. And when they left, they had to flee for their lives. They were pretty affluent there and they had to... Um, they had to flee for their lives. And so they got all the gold that they owned and they melted it down and it went into like a barrel. And they, they went to the evacuation site to get on the plane to fly out and they get to go to the point to get on the plane and the guy, you know, loading him says, hey, hang on a second. Like you can't bring that barrel of gold. That's not going to go on the airplane. You got two choices. You can either leave it here or you can stay here. And so they left it there. They had to go, they ended up going to South Africa, fleeing for their lives, where they lived six years in tents. But the point is, is that nations will always control the flow of capital. Um, and like I said, and how those things interact. And what we're talking about today is a part of this capital controls, but it's specifically about price controls. All right. So that's uh, specifically what we're talking about, the price control aspect of things. And you can see how it's always there. Now, I want to tell you a story first so you can start to understand how all of these things come about. All right. And really, it's all summed up in one mental model, and that is the mental model of unintended consequences. Now, unintended consequences are when you do one thing, trying to get one result or affect one outcome, but you get a whole bunch of other variables that popped up. It's sort of like uh, if you watch mainstream TV, which probably none of you guys are, uh, but if you watch mainstream TV, it's, it's sort of like this dumpster fire of uh, pharmaceutical commercials where, um, especially if you're like watching ESPN or something, it's just like one like prescription med after another, it seems like. And at the end, they tell you all the side effects that they could have. So uh, you have heartburn, you could take this pill for heartburn, but you know, it might give you headaches and fevers and sweats and you might die right? And so those are unintended consequences. They're trying to fix one thing like heartburn, but instead they have to warn you that all these other things could happen. But what, what was interesting about that is if you remember, I'm sure you do, uh, during the pandemic, you weren't allowed to talk about the vaccine at all. You, you could never talk that there could even potentially ever be one side effect of it. Never one. The reason why this is important is because in a complex system, when you affect, when you try to change one thing, you affect others. Now, I'm going to tell you a story about how this works, and then I'm going to talk about price controls, capital controls, and what we're expecting and what we can do about them. But I got to take a quick break. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about how price controls are at the end of every empire and democracy, and we're seeing the same things and what to do about it. I'll be back with more in a minute. Don't go away.
Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. All right, welcome back. If you just tuned in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about... Price controls. <laughs> what happens at the end of an empire, at the end of a country, uh, capital controls, price controls, and how the Biden administration's price controls are backfiring, uh, why they always fail, and what we can do about them. Now, I wanted to just tell you a story real quick. Like I said, it was about uh, the law of unintended consequences. And so when we, when we try to change one thing, and it has all these other outcomes and effects that we didn't intend on. So there's a story. Uh, it's called the Cobra Effect. Now, the cobra effect is a story from India, which has a problem with king cobra snakes. And as you're probably aware, king cobra snakes are very poisonous. Now, there was a problem, and there was that there was too many of these king cobras. And they were affecting the population. It wasn't safe. People were dying, et cetera, things like that were happening. So the Indian government decided they would come up with a plan. Uh, the plan would be is that what we'll do is we'll incentivize, and it always starts with incentives, uh, we'll incentivize people to go kill these cobra snakes and bring them to us. And for every snake they turn in, that we'll, we'll pay them for them. And so they did. And so people started, you know, going and killing snakes and bringing them in. And some people that were a little bit smarter and more ambitious than others decided, hey, here's a good idea. What we'll do is we'll start raising the snakes on our own. We'll start breeding them. So we'll just start, you know, set up our cages and we'll raise them. And they did. They started raising them by the dozens and the hundreds or however many they were. And then 
they would bring in boxes at a time and just dump them on the counter and get paid out for it. It didn't take very long for the government to realize that this wasn't exactly what they had intended to happen. And so they said, hey, we're canceling this program altogether. We're, not, we're no longer going to pay you for the King Cobras. Well, then all these farms, <laughs> all these people that were growing the Cobras just to sell them to the government are like, well, what the heck are we going to do with all these snakes then? And the answer was obviously nothing. So they let them all go. After the program was ended, India ended up with more snakes than they, they had originally had in the beginning. And that is the law of unintended consequences, specifically when you're working in a complex system like a society and you're creating incentives, people are always going to optimize for those incentives. Now, we can see the same thing happening with price controls because it affects incentives and the law of unintended consequences. And so, as I said, we, can, we know that all throughout history, it's always this last stage that the government's going to go to is trying to do that. Now, we know uh, we can, I have dozens of examples I want to run through with you, but one of them might be, for example, like rent control. Now, I live in Southern California. I've been investing in, in Southern, California, Southern California real estate for decades. I owned apartment buildings in Los Angeles, and Los Angeles has rent control. So I've had to deal with this before. Now, basically, what they say is that... Uh, you can't raise your rent anymore. So me as an owner of a building, as a landlord, I can no longer raise my rent, which on the surface sounds pretty good if you think about it only from a first order effect. Unfortunately for most, uh, well, unfortunately for us, all of us and, and for the world, most people only think through first order effects, but then think through what, what happens in the second order and the third order and the fourth order effects. Well, what we do know is that when they have imposed things like rent control, what we see is that we actually have a shortage of housing. As a matter of fact, every single time we see something like price controls, it leads to shortage of housing. Now, why would that happen? Well, it's pretty simple. Uh, there's a couple things. One, if I move into this cool apartment and I love my location and it's in this trendy area, whatever, and I get my rent locked in, I no longer have to worry about the price of inflation my rent's locked in. Now, once I'm in there, I don't ever want to let that go. As a matter of fact, as we can see after study, after study, after study, that once somebody moves into a rent control apartment, they are very unlikely to ever leave. And a lot of times they'll pass that to a friend or a family member if they do want to leave. And so right off the bat, it takes all of this inventory off the market. Typically in like lower income housing, there's a lot of turnovers. There's always opportunities to move. But in this type of a scenario, it takes all of that off the market. Another problem with this is that me being an owner of a building there, I want to keep up with the maintenance on it. If you, if, if you let the building get too far away, it can become very expensive. So being the greedy uh, landlord that I am, I want to maximize my profits. And in order to maximize my profits because I'm so greedy, I want to keep the building up to date. Now, I would imagine you, if you were a renter, would like to be in a building that maintenance was up to date. I would imagine that. You probably wouldn't want the roof leaking, right? You probably wouldn't want the sidewalks cracking. You, you, you wouldn't want that. But see, I wouldn't want that either as an owner, because if I let the ceilings leak, that's going to cause all kinds of other problems that it's going to cost me way more money. I'm much better off just to fix, fix the roof right now instead of having to deal with the consequences later. But the problem is, if they cap the amount of price uh, I can charge for the rent, I don't have the money to put into the maintenance. 
And if I, you know, typically what I'd want to do is I'd want to fix it up. I'd want to, Hey, let's paint it. Let's give it a new facelift. Let's put a new roof on it. Uh, let's add a pool. But in order to add those things, it costs me more money. And so I might need to raise the rent in order to offset that. But if I can't raise the rent, then guess what? No maintenance. So now I'm forced to be a slumlord and you're forced to live in squalor. That's no good. So one, it takes away inventory. Two, it forces things to fall into deterioration. The law of entropy takes over. Things that are left on their own fall to disorder. Now, it's easy to maybe see that in the light of real estate, for example. But one of the things that I was looking at is what the Biden administration put through in, in what they call the Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA. Of course, you know, you hear me talk about this all the time, how, how insane it is. They, they call these things, they label these things like almost the opposite of what they really are. And so somehow by printing trillions of dollars, we got this massive amount of inflation. And so they created this Inflation Reduction Act, which is supposed to reduce inflation, hence the name. And they're going to do that by, yes, printing trillions of more dollars. Now, a logical person might go, well, wait a minute, wasn't it the trillions of dollars that caused the inflation in the first place? So how could printing more trillions of dollars actually reduce the inflation? And if you ask that question, then you would be right, but they would call you an idiot. So don't ask that question, but they have a better plan. What they'll do, because of course, yes, you're right, the trillions of dollars will add towards more inflation, but not if they cap the prices. Hmm, that sounds like a pretty good plan. So one of the things that we're going to do, and it was in this Inflation Reduction Act, Biden campaigned on this hard, is he is going to make drugs more affordable not the drugs on your street, but healthcare drugs, right? Pharmaceuticals. He wants to make them more affordable. And so uh, through the HHS, they want to negotiate prices for the drugs to be cheaper. They want manufacturers of these drugs to sell them for cheaper. They want to tell them how much they can sell them for. Okay, well, that sounds good on the surface. Again, that's a first order effect. But what if it costs more to make the drug than what I can sell it for? Hmm. Well, then I guess I won't make it because businesses are in the business of making money, right? But what else happens? Could it possibly lead to higher rates of death? Could it possibly lead to lower quality of living? Well, these are some questions that we're going to dig into. And I have the facts. I got the receipts. I got the data. We're going to dig into this. I'm going to break this down. We're going to look at some other examples throughout history. We're going to look at other countries that are doing the same thing. And then I'm going to tell you, unfortunately, what's inevitable. But the best part is what we can do about this. So I got a lot to cover. I got to take a very quick break, though. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the unintended consequences of price caps and what the Biden administration is doing. We'll be back with more in a minute. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about how price controls are always at the end of every empire. And I'm giving you exactly the play-by-play of what's happening. Now, we were talking about how the Biden administration put forward this IRA, Inflation Reduction Act. And one of the first things they want to attack is the prices of drugs, prescription drugs. And we can already see how um, IRA drug price controls are already impacting its members' research and development decisions. Specifically, 78% are expected to cancel early stage pipeline projects. 63% plan to shift research and development away from from certain medicines. 95% are expected to develop fewer new uses for medicines because of the limited time available before being subject to government price setting. So because they can't make as much money, they're not going to spend as much time doing research and development. If we don't do as much research and development, then we don't have breakthroughs in medicine. If we don't have breakthroughs in medicine, then a lot of the gains that we've seen, like, for example, tripling life expectancy over the last 100 years, starts to go away. Now, we've seen this time and time again, right? We've seen studies come out that that show this, uh, but at the same time, we constantly for some reason, have more people wanting more and more of it. But I want to run through some of the effects that we've seen throughout history so we can start to understand this. Now, this isn't isn't new for the United States. I talked about it being at the end of you know the empire, but we've actually seen it many times in the United States. We saw in 1971 to 1974, then uh, President Richard Nixon um, used price controls, of course, to control inflation. And they imposed both price controls and wage controls. Because of course, if you make more money, that's a problem, that's inflationary. As a matter of fact, most people haven't realized that yet, but the Federal Reserve, the central banks, they hate you. They're trying to bring inflation down. And you making more money is a problem for them. For some of you, having a job is a problem for them. As a matter of fact, they want to bring unemployment up, which means they hope their goal is for millions of more Americans to actually lose their job. That's what they want. That's their goal. And they want to cap how much you can get paid at your job and how much then those manufacturers or the the companies can sell those products for. So we saw that, like I said, 1971 to 74, they did that. Now, at first, it did seem to slow the rate of inflation because people didn't have as much money. Businesses were not having as much money. But then it ultimately backfired. As a matter of fact, it led to shortages. And if you're even caught up a little bit on Economics 101, you know that all prices are the equilibrium between supply and demand. And so they can affect the supply, um, the demand side a little bit, but eventually that leads to shortages, which then brings the supply side down. And if the supply side drops faster than demand, guess what happens? Prices go back up. And that's exactly what happened in the Nixon administration. We saw shortages that happened for 
goods that were needed like meat and gasoline and building materials. Now these shortages led to rationing. So in the seventies, they were literally rationing gasoline. You had to go only to the gas station on certain days. It led to black markets for these types of goods to be sold. And eventually they had to cancel it. They had to lift these price controls in 1974 because things had gotten so bad, but the damage was already done. The controls that led to shortages, rationing black markets, also had discouraged innovation. Of course, no one was investing, no one was building more. Why would I build a factory to bring more supply that could help bring the price down? Why would I do that, invest into that, spend that time, effort, energy, money, risk, if I know that I can't make a profit anyway because they're gonna cap the prices? And so of course they don't. And so then uh, after, after that was ended, we saw that uh, the period from 1974 to 1984 was a period of very high inflation because then the prices were lifted so then people could sell them for what they needed to, which means prices went up. So the consumer price index is measured by CPI rose an average of 7.8% per year during this period. Now, that was an average of it during that year. So it was obviously much higher. We can see this throughout history. France, 1793, the National Assembly was the ruling body of France. During the revolution, they imposed price controls on a wide range of goods, including at that time, apples. This meant apple farmers weren't allowed to sell their apples for more than a certain price. Now, of course, they were unpopular for people wanting to sell apples and apple farmers were less willing to produce apples if they couldn't get a fair price for them. And if they didn't want to produce more apples, then we didn't have any apples. This is one of the things, the price controls on apples that we can trace back that actually attributed, or I should say contributed to the French Revolution. When people don't eat, People aren't happy. When people don't make money, people aren't happy. When people aren't happy, they tend to go to, the, go to the streets. We see it in France all the time. As a matter of fact, we see it in France right now. Uh, we can go on. We can see that um, you know, all of this led towards um, you know, this continued divide between rich and poor. It changed the taxation system. It led to this monarchy class that kind of grew up that the people weren't happy about, the sort of us versus them, we the people versus the rich. And we see the same thing happening in the United States today. As a matter of fact, I saw a post from uh, Wall Street Silver on Twitter came out and showing that the combined net worth of the 50 richest members of Congress is $4.8 billion. Hmm. So members of Congress, public servants that are there as a public servant to do a service that are making public servant wages, they have a combined net worth of $4.8 billion. So they have an annual salary of 174000 so at that rate, they would have to work, uh, you know, 27,000 years to earn that much money. <laughs> Obviously, well, some of them look like they've been alive for 27,000 years, but uh, they haven't been. And so how the heck did they get that much money? What we can see is that the highest positions of our government on both sides of the aisle, they're abusing their power for financial gain. Now, again, we can go back through history some more. We can see China in 1953 to 1980. The Chinese government imposed all types of price controls on a wide range of goods and services um, that led towards uh, shortages. It was the centrally planned economy, uh, Mao's great leap forward, trying to bring the country forward that constantly caused these types of things to go. Everyone should work on steel. So then in the backyard of everybody's houses, they had smelting pots and they were making steel, which led to massive amounts of pollution and massive amounts of uh, 
of waste being all over the ground. Um, then Mao's great idea was, you know, to cut down the forest or his idea was to go kill all the sparrows because they were eating the crops. And then we got overran by bugs and constantly was trying to affect one thing that caused much bigger problems. And of course, one of the biggest problems was yes, a lack of goods and specifically a lack of food. For example, the price of grain was set at 0.3 yuan per kilogram, which was below the cost of production, which then led to a shortage of grain, and then the government had to ration it. Now we know through Mao's Great Leap Forward, thank you communism, thank you socialism, about, uh, I think about 50 million people died during that time. Communism and socialism, it's hard to say exactly, but somewhere have been responsible for about 100 million deaths, 100 million. When you go back through the Bolshevik Revolution in the early 1900s in Russia, through uh, Germany and into Mao's Great Leap Forward, we had about 100 million people died. Uh, many of them, tens of millions of them directly you know, murdered as they were opposing the governments. Uh, but the majority of them died from starvation because of the centrally, these horrible centrally planned ideas that always tried to control the economy, which always led to price inflation, which always led to price controls, which always led to shortages, which always led to people starving to death. It's sad. It's just the history though. You have to know this. We saw Venezuela 2003 to the present. The government's been imposing price controls on all types of goods and services. Venezuela, which was one of the richest countries in the world at the early part of the century that has massive amounts of natural resources like oil, but yet they just can't seem to get them out of the ground. Um, we see that their current inflation rate is almost 400%. And yet they're still trying to impose price controls. Um, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Mark Ma show. We're talking about what happens at the end of every empire and the end of every democracy, which is capital controls and price controls and where that's going. Now, I got to take a quick break, but when I come back, I'm going to talk about what the future holds for us in the United States and most of the developed world for that matter. What I think happens, probably the most probable case and what we can do about it. You don't want to miss this. So don't go away, but I'm gonna take a quick break. Don't go. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at legalshield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We've been talking about... The inevitable end. Uh, When you look back to history, the inevitable end of an empire, of a democracy, how it follows a predictable path. The last path is always capital controls and price controls. How we're seeing that today, the Biden administration is imposing these capital controls through things like the Inflation Reduction Act, trying to reduce inflation by capping the prices. And I went through the historical lens of how these always lead to shortages, which unfortunately throughout history has always lead led to mass deaths, and I'm certainly hoping that's not the case. Hopefully we could learn from the past so we don't have to continue to repeat those same mistakes. You know, the quote is that those that don't learn from history are bound, or I should say doomed to repeat it. My goal is, of course, if we can wake up enough people to this, if people can understand what's going on, if we can look back to history and bring those lessons forward, maybe, just maybe, we can spread the word to other people and we can change the collective mindset. Look, it doesn't take a majority to prevail. It only takes a small, a right minority. It takes you and I, as Samuel Adams said, spreading brush fires in the minds of men. We don't need the masses. The masses are always wrong. And so we need to know this. And so that's why I'm talking about this. Now, what I would ask for you is to go discuss these ideas with somebody else. Stop talking about the weather. Stop talking about the TV show that you saw. Talk about real subjects. Talk about things that are going on in the world. Talk about the direction the world is going and what we could and should be doing about it. Maybe also get involved a little bit. Get involved. Um, talk to your friends, family, your coworkers. Yes, of course. But maybe even involved in your local government because where we're going isn't pretty. Now, let me paint you a picture. So let's take a look ahead. Whether you're in Europe, in China, uh, well, obviously, even if you're in Venezuela, it's a little bit too late for you. But if you're in the developed world, Canada, the U.S., uh, you know, North America, Australia, Europe, etc., this is where this is what your future holds. Okay, because at the end of every democracy and empire. This is what happens. So we have inflation raging, obviously. Now, in the United States, you know, Jerome Powell, the head of the Fed, is saying that they've, they're bringing it under control. They're not quite sure. There might be one or two more rate increases left, but he thinks he's got it under control. Meanwhile, we see inflation is raging still in the UK and Europe really, really hard. But it's happening in the developed world. China, it's happening in, uh, I just told you earlier, in Venezuela, 400%. Um, so we have this massive problem with inflation. Now, the inflation problem is not going away. I've been very vocal. I've been telling you for a year that it might be some of the lowest inflation we'll see for the decade. Even when it was six, seven, eight, nine percent I was saying that. Now, yes, I know, Mark, you're, you're like, Mark, but it's down. You're, you're wrong. Look, nothing goes up or down in a straight line. So we have uh, waves of inflation. So when you look back into the 70s, you look back into the 40s when we had these periods of high inflation, you see that inflation sort of comes in waves. But you also know that nothing, no stock or asset price ever goes up in a straight line or even down in a straight line. So on its way down, it's bouncing, on its way up, it's bouncing, et cetera. And so inflation will come in waves and we'll have periods of high inflation and disinflation. but we have more inflation. Why? Well, there's two main reasons why we're going to have higher inflation. Number one is because of, as I talk about, the decentralized revolution or deglobalization. You see this, the rise of the BRICS. The BRICS are rising up to challenge the dollar's dominance. And they don't want to be, co- they don't want to be cooperative 
working together, they want to be competitive or coercive. President Xi challenged the BRICS coalition at the meeting they had just a week or two ago, saying that it's time for the BRICS to rise up and challenge the G7. So rather than being competitive, or I'm sorry, cooperative, they want to be competitive. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that they want to be more restrictive on free trade. They want to impose tariffs and regulations on certain things. China and, and the U.S. have been having this sort of trade war going on for a number of years. The U.S. has completely cut them off of high-level um, computer chips, microchips. They just cut us off of two main commodities that we need for our EV sector, gallium and geranium. And so as these things happen, it continues to push prices up. We see that the U.S. now wants to bring or re-onshore manufacturing, which is a good thing, but that's going to push the prices of everything up. Things get more expensive. As we start to get more instability, and unsecurity around the world, you know, ships are getting hijacked. It's uh, getting dangerous to move things. That's going to push the prices of things up. So we have massive inflation ahead. We also have massive, because of the deglobalization and decentralization, we also have massive inflation ahead because all the governments are broke. So just like in Venezuela, as I said, we're at 400% inflation. We're at Turkey. The Turkish lira has lost 95% to the U.S. dollar in the last five years because they're printing too much money. But it's the fate of all the countries. As I said at the beginning, the third inevitable in life now is that there is going to be money printing. And so as these governments continue to print more money, it's going to continue to cause more inflation. And there's no way to print less because we're in a debt-based monetary system, which means we constantly have to be filling this up. Think about it this, because we're in a debt-based monetary system. What does that mean exactly? So you hear this reference like uh, money printer go burr. That's not really how it works. The, the central banks don't actually print money. What they do is they set the monetary policy for the banks to create the money. Now, the banks create the money by issuing a loan. So when you go to the bank to get a, a business, a house, a car, a boat, a bike loan, that money is then created into existence. So what does that mean exactly? What it means is that the dollars are a liability, the debt is the asset. And the asset, the debt is the asset because it's backed by the house, the car, the boat. So the dollars are the liability that were created to pay for the asset, which is the collateral. But what happens if that collateral, if the asset prices start to plunge? Well, all of a sudden, the debt, the dollars, the liabilities are no longer backed by the debt because the collateral has fallen, which then means that I get margin called. We have to bring in more capital. But in a liquidity event, how does that work? It starts to create a, a doom loop. It starts to create this waterfall, this event where the collateral is falling so fast that it can't be covered. The banks, the governments of the world cannot let this happen. It can't happen. It won't happen. And so the only way to prevent that from happening is to make sure asset prices continue going up and not down. And so they need inflation. I'm just letting you know, this is not going away. They have to print the money because of the asset prices always have to be going up because we're in a debt-based system. It's also inflation is going up because of the deglobalization and the decentralization that's happening. All right. Now, the other thing that we have is because of the debt levels going so high. So as the government has to continue to print more money, deficit level spending, spending more than they're bringing in. As a matter of fact, in the U.S., um, we've now reached um, or we've had to double the deficit spending. And that is inflationary as well. So we're in this doom loop where we can't stop, won't stop printing. Now, in this event, the only way forward is this what's called financial repression. And that means that we need 
inflation, the governments need inflation to be really high and they want inflation to be high and bond yields to be low. And in that gap is how they can steal from you. So remember, debt to GDP is a ratio, debt divided by GDP. So I can bring debt down or I can bring GDP up. One way I bring GDP up is just with inflation. Uh, I used to sell 10 iPhones at 1,000. Now I sell 10 iPhones at 2,000. My GDP went up. Congratulations, even though I didn't increase the economic output. And so this financial repression, high inflation to bring the debt to GDP ratio down, the GDP up, is the goal. But the problem is in that type of environment, when bond yields are low and inflation is high, then people don't want to be trapped in that system, which is why capital controls always fall into place at the end. And with capital controls come price controls. All right, this is the future. This is what we're facing. And so you have to be prepared for it. So what do we do about this? Well, we want to be inside assets that aren't in that system. So this would be non-financial assets. I like Bitcoin. That's why I talk about it all the time. Also, you can think about gold. You can think about real assets like scarce property, such as waterfront property or other types of trophy assets. You can think about um, fine art collectibles, cars. You can think about energy intensive assets, again, like gold, other commodities, things like that. This is why you see nations like China just bought their fifth lithium mine while they're dumping U.S. treasuries. They don't want the dollars. They'd rather have the commodities. And that's the plan that I'm taking as well. I'd love to know what you have to think. Hit me up on social media at one Mark Moss. If you just tune in, you're listening to the Mark Moss show talking about the inevitable fate of the United States, Europe, and every other developed nation in the world. And that's a lot. If you're listening on the on your podcast, please like and review this episode. I'd love that if you could do that. And that's what I got. Thanks so much for listening. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.